When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the John Favreau's My Daddy podcast with Jessica Garcia and Monica Montoya. I'm absolutely shredding this. You are a prodigy, my dear. That was pretty good. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Applause. Can we put? Can we insert an applause sound here? <laughs> that was well done. Well done. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are <laughs> we playing the Berlin Concert Hall in two weeks' time? <laughs> uh, I recently procured this xylophone. Yeah, this baby xylophone. It's a small xylophone. Don't think like large concert xylophone. Think small child xylophone <laughs> with how many notes does that have one two three i sound like the owl from uh, one, the tootsie world a two, a three. <laughs> how many licks till you get to the center of a tootsie pop let's find out one <laughs> anyway one two three four five six seven eight seven, there's eight. eight there's eight <laughs> ocho Ocho notes. The magnificent eight, or whatever the fuck. The hateful eight. The hateful eight. <laughs> it's the magnificent seven and the hateful and the eight. Hateful eight. <laughs> that was the joke. Well done, Quentin. Oh, 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 oh. How are you, Monica? I'm swell. I'm still in pajamas. Yes, you are. Yeah. You've had a morning. I've had quite the morning. <laughs> I went to bed at like 2 40 ish. In the morning, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah Mon- I don't think Monica has ever gone to bed after me. It's going to be a no. I, my bedtime, I have a bedtime, by the way. We say this as if we like sleep in the same bed. Yeah. So my bedtime is 1030 and Jessica's, I'm just kidding. No, but seriously, my bedtime is 1030. I never really stray from that. Um, Sometimes I go to bed at 11 and the latest, the latest I'll ever let myself go to bed is like midnight. Cause if I don't, then I'll sleep in the next morning and that's just a whole mess of problems. True. Uh, But then last night. I did this really interesting thing where I stayed up until uh, like 2.40 and I went to bed and then I had to set an alarm to wake up to do a work thing at like 7.30 a.m. Yeah. And then did that work thing until like 8.30, 8.45 a.m., went to bed, woke up, and now we're doing this podcast. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Los Angeles. I have egos in my body and coffee in my veins. Yeah, baby. Eggos from the frozen section at Target. <laughs> I don't think they make it. And I don't think they make like room temp egos. I don't know that they do. I would not try them. <laughs> That's disgusting. Um, they they don't taste good as it is. You have to eat them with, with syrup in order for them to taste I good. I think it's kind of like a Subway thing where they taste like Subway? the taste has become like the, su- like the thing underground. No, 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 like the sandwich <laughs> thing. Like, oh like my God. The taste has become synonymous with the brand. Oh. So, like, when you think of Eggo, you think of a very specific type, like, flavor. Yeah. Homestyle. And you, mm-hmm. you crave that for some reason. Like, like Subway isn't, like, the best sandwich no, place or anything. Disgusting. But, like, it, you, there's, it, there's something flavor. about the flavor. Yeah. You I know? think it's, like, MSG. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> Even though, you know, MSG is actually not bad for you. It's like, it's just seasoning. Yeah. I'm not really sure where that came from. The whole like MSG thing. I think it's racist. racist. <laughs> Say it with me. Racism. Racism. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> and the racist MSG. You know, I always wonder, like, where this podcast can go. Yeah. <laughs> where in the confines of the sweet, sweet universe can exactly. this baby take And it, all, it keeps going in places I have never predicted. Honestly. <laughs> One, two, three. Uh, who the fuck are we talking about today, man? Uh, one of the hottest people alive. Whom? Who? Oh, this is Brad Pitt's <gasps> episode, baby. Bartholomew Pitt? <laughs> His name is not Bartholomew. Before the before we started recording, I said, Monica, did you know that Brad Pitt's name, like his first name isn't Brad? And she said, what is it? And I literally said, William. And she goes, Bartholomew? I just wanted to be Bartholomew so bad. I, you know, you can name your child that. Bartholomew? Come hither. I think you should do it just for the bit. Just for the bit, like 10 years down the line, we'll all come back and I'll be like, I did, I finished it, guys. The punchline is here. It's arrived. <laughs> oh, I dream of it. Uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about our boy Brad. So William Bradley Pitt, a.k.a. Brad Pitt, to his friends. <laughs> we're, we're his friends. Brad. <laughs> he is an American actor, film producer, and humanitarian. Brad grew up in Missouri Holy and studied shit. journalism at the University of Missouri, but he dropped out in 1986, two weeks before graduating That's to move my, to Los Angeles, uh, which is one of... I hate <laughs> when people do this. Uh, and I love when people do this. And I understand why you love it, but I just look... At, because well, I just know like how much work colleges and i'm like you did you literally did all of it you probably weren't even going to class in the last two weeks uh, and funny. then you dropped out i know but like here's the thing so like for the people who are not jessica because jessica knows where my head's at when i yeah. say this uh it is to me like the epitome of like like i don't give a fuck if you just like you know the, the like yeah the amount of time and effort it takes like get a college degree yes. it is it, it is an insane amount of time and effort and money yeah um and time and effort and money so um for you to drop out like two weeks or like a day or something before mm -hmm. like i don't know why but like that gets me going like i'm like oh my god like you really did disgusting. that disgusting you said no to that that's crazy <laughs> you crazy you I crazy you. and i respect the shit out of you man like hell yeah <laughs> Because he said two weeks. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> I got to go to L.A. now. I'm going to L.A. today. <laughs> so he goes to Los Angeles to pursue acting. He began acting in 1987, landing a lot of small film and television roles, a couple like uncredited film roles as well. But it wasn't until his supporting role in 1991's Thelma and Louise. Iconic. That he gained wider recognition. Despite being initially recognized for his incredibly good looks, Woof. he quickly proved his range as both a dramatic and comedic actor, with some critics claiming that black comedy is what he does best, which honestly, that's what I would agree with. It's going to be the truth. As a personal fan of the Oceans films, <laughs> I haven't seen the Oceans films, but like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 
or even what's that movie where he does the insane Irish accent? Oh my god! Is it like <laughs> like snatch or snap or I think something so. like that. It's something like snatch, snacks, yeah. snap, <laughs> or even um, or even fucking Fight Club. Like yes, there's that's a lot Fight of black Club. comedy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Anyway, um, he has many nominations, but he's won two SAG awards, two Golden Globes, a BAFTA, and two Oscars. One was for a uh, producing credit on Twelve Years a Slave for Best Picture that year, but the other one he did win for Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or. which is the the acronym yeah most importantly though he's been named people's sexiest man alive twice as well as being named one of the 25 sexiest stars in film history Mm, which is all we care about on this pod Mm. so yeah um oh and he also has six children with angelina jolie that are truly too widely publicized and the fact that like people magazine paid 14 million dollars for the for the um, initial image rights for the birth of their twins is insanity. Let them live. <laughs> but apparently, if I die. <laughs> but uh, Brangelina, they they took the fourteen million supposedly and donated it to their own foundation. Oh my god! <laughs> Isn't Can that crazy? That is insane. Here's the thing: I really respect all the parents out there that are like putting the emojis and shit over their kids' faces. Yeah, that's a lot of power to hold. I feel like the paps, the paps, mm-hmm. are constantly taking pictures of like that. To me, has always been weird, man. Like I've never wanted to see a celebrity's kids. That's fucking weird. Well, it, 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 for them, it's because they were just like the the hottest actor alive plus oh, the yeah. hottest actress alive mm-hmm. having a baby like what on the wikipedia page it said something like um the birth of their first kid which was shiloh i think one right was their first like biological yeah. child yeah, together yeah, yeah. They were saying, like, paparazzi people were like, this is the most anticipated birth since Jesus. Right. And which is insane. It's just crazy to me. But, like, honestly, I just think that, like, photograph, like, going out of your way to photograph a youngin, a youth, is disgusting. It's gross. Yeah. Like, leave them alone. And growing up in Los Angeles, I have seen many a pap. Yeah. And they're crazy. They're fucking insane. <laughs> they're crazy. Which it makes me so mad why people get mad when they're like, such and such actor, like, like, like hit, smack the shit a paparazzi <laughs> with an umbrella or some shit. And then they get like arrested for it. I'm like, but, but they're violent but, and invasive people. It's but, terrible. But they're violent with their lens. <laughs> Well, some of them literally like jump literally. out, like assault you. They like they hide in the bushes. I've seen them before. Yes, they're terrible. It's terrifying. Oh, goodbye, Paps. Whenever we become, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Monica, yeah. we're being photographed right now. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, Brad Pitt is awesome, and he has many children. M- many, all of which are famous. Yeah, um, I believe th- they adopted three and then biologically and then, have three. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like an even split at this point. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we all know those iconic photos of Angelina Jolie like crying because she like left her son at a, at a, at a Korean university. <laughs> uh, so good parents. I'm assuming that they're good parents. I'm assuming that they co-parent very well. Yeah, I would uh, guess. But uh, I, I don't know. who Who is your stan? Who is your like Brad plus ship? Oh, Ooh, mm-hmm. it's not Brangelina. No, I know not for me either. Even though they have like the, the honestly the cutest kids, yeah, and like they, their family is like really great, really beautiful family. I don't yeah. know. There's something about Angelina that like I've never quite vibed with. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't like dislike her. or think she's a bad actress. I or think anything. her wearing 
or or Billy Bob wearing her blood was like kind of turned it off for me. <laughs> yeah, there was just like there was a lot. She's going just on. a really intense person. Yeah, that I can't um, jive with. I would say Brad and Jen. <gasps> That's me. But but oh, I no. more I'm even more in love with like how they have managed to be friends since BFF. their divorce. Yeah. Like, I think that's so incredible and oh, beautiful. Yes. And so, therefore, my true ship is Gwyneth and Brad. <gasps> Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. A little that. throwback. Ugh. And if you guys don't know, Gwyneth has since said that, like, she, that Brad was too good for her. Too good. Mm. Because she was just like, she was like, I was 22 and my head was up my ass. And, like, I didn't <laughs> know what I had and what I was doing. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to uh, the episode of Gwyneth Paltrow on. Yes. Uh, Armchair expert. Armchair expert. It's really fucking good. It's one of my uh, my favorite interviews. It is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, obviously mine is Brad and Jennifer. I'm very vocal about that. Beautiful I think, couple. I think they're just a beautiful couple. But I also, to your point, I also appreciate them being platonic pals. Yeah. And like really like, because there's always been this like weird um, like stigma around like men and women being friends. Mm-hmm. And like, can men and women really be friends there's been whole movies especially like when they're celebrities and when they had a very public divorce yeah and like a very public past Mm -hmm. where you can't really escape it you will always be reminded of the fact that you were very much in love with this person yeah like oh god i love when they did uh the fast times read through and like they were just like hi honey how you doing yes it was so cute it was so good and his eyes and he was just looking at her with so much love and like admiration oh oh my god anyways sorry for that sidetrack it had to be done when you talk about brad we love brad you have to talk about the women that shaped him truly truly (laughs) monica what is the first film we are doing for let me tell you and you know what i'm gonna preface this by saying these movies were hard to choose because we love brad i love brad i love brad in a plethora of films we chose three of like the more broad like broad strokes of his career yeah something that was like in the very beginning something that was like kind of in the middle something that was like kind of at the end and three like very different movies i yeah. think um so before you fucking come at me <laughs> uh the first movie is seven Ooh, or yeah. seven n <laughs> what what let me just say before we start this what i love about these choices though yeah, is yeah, it gives yeah. us the freedom to get more granular later if we ever oh. want to oh yeah if we ever want to do like a deep cut brad episode Ooh. Ooh. Can you imagine? Oh, I could do like a whole episode on on all of the Oceans movies franchise. We'll talk about it. Him and his BFF, <laughs> George Clooney. <laughs> they come in a package deal, you know. When you do those movies, you can't just do Brad. It, you're right. You're you right. You have to do George. <laughs> okay, Monica, um, tell me about Se- 7N. 7 came out in 1995, written by Andrew Kevin Walker, directed by David Fincher. <laughs> David Fincher. David Fincher. In a nameless city, two homicide detectives, rookie detective David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, <laughs> and retiring detective William Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman, track down a sadistic serial killer, played by R.I.P. Kevin Spacey, uh, who chooses and murders his victims according to the seven deadly sins. Together they trace the killers every step, all the while moving closer to a gruesome fate neither of them could have predicted. Wow. Um, this is an iconic film that neither of us had seen somehow. I know. I don't know what... I, I, I've seen the marketing for it. I've seen trailers for yeah. it. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Like, I've seen it play on, like... Yeah. Like... You know, whenever when, back in the day, when, <laughs> when people had cable, there yeah. was like those those 
channels that had like all those movies. Yeah, like channel 800. Yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, uh, it would play, some, like my brothers would watch it all the time, but like I never saw it. Yeah, same. Um, so it was like, conf- I mean, it, I guess it is just confusing to me because it's a David Fincher film and we're both like hoes. Yeah. Um, so to me, I didn't realize how like, so grungy in like 90s it was right okay so i <laughs> hated the title sequence oh my god it was the hated first of all, it what the fuck the fucking music the fucking, and the like the chicken scratch handwriting and like the scraping of the finger i just hated it like i i but i hate stuff like that in general like i hate it when movies get like super dated for like because that's like grungy from specifically that time and it, it's but it, like even though it was of the time it didn't match the movie though. no it That's didn't the movie was more it was less grungy and more like crime it's a neo-noir it's yeah. like very clearly neo-noir yeah, and yeah, then yeah, they were yeah. like and now here's this title sequence it's like bro it horrible it was terrifying it was honestly terrifying um <laughs> i mean he did direct uh music videos before he directed films so like i get it but it's also disgusting <laughs> i like, would like did he personally design that title sequence? i don't want to horrifying i don't want to watch like kevin spacey's hand like scrape shit off of his own fingers it's yeah, like not something then, i want to watch and then like all those weird crime photos there was like lots of corpse photos and things like that it was i mean it's a disturbing film but that was, it was too much for the much. title sequence yeah. like save it for like that yeah. one like jump scare in the middle when they find the guy like <laughs> yes exactly I, I don't know like yeah i will say like the setup of the movie mm-hmm. really did not get me in the mood for the movie <laughs> i had to like sort of like stare at it with my like my hand on my head sort of yeah trying to figure out what the fuck was going on because i was like is it this kind of movie i didn't hear that it was this kind of movie sure. and then it like it shifted tone yes. and i was like what the fuck yeah. just happened to my senses it very clearly shifts tone and they really lean into the noir part oh, of it which i really yeah. love where it's like this rookie detective comes in from another town and all of like the all the shots are and like all the lighting is so like uh-huh. dim and like ooh, and it's rainy all the time and, and it's dirty and yeah. everyone's dirty all the time. Everyone's dirty and and uh, poor. Kid has his beautiful dame. Yeah, his <laughs> his dame. See, she's beautiful. See. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, the introduction of Brad Pitt, like uh-huh. I love his face when we first sort of see him because he looks both so totally done yeah. with whatever the fuck is happening and simultaneously very excited because for what is new. happening. Because he's new. Yeah. Because he's a shiny penny. He's a shiny penny and Morgan Freeman's like, why the fuck did you choose this town to right. come to? And Brad's just like, no. Which is really funny because his motivation remains to me a little bit dim. Yeah. Other than like, he has like this weird savior complex of like, I want to go to a town that really needs me. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, it feels like on a very basic level, he just likes his job. Yeah. And, and wants to do a lot of it. A town like this <laughs> needs the job a lot. And it also, there seems to be like a little bit of vagueness about like wherever they were before, they like wanted to get away from there for well, some reason. When is Paltrow sort of, uh, when they're in bed together, yes. which they're in bed together like all the time. And mm-hmm. she's always in bed in this movie for whatever she's reason. Sleeping. She's sleeping. <laughs> Guys, it's she's a sleepy little town. Uh, but she mentions to him that like, you know, is this, is this like more fast paced or is this more than the like, basically like hick town that they were at, or yeah. like the, the very rural town that they were at. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, yeah, <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so that was really cool. I loved the chemistry between Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Uh, which I did not expect, to be honest well, with you. Well, it's an interesting kind of chemistry. It's very parent-child. Yeah. <laughs> because Brad, like Morgan Freeman's very much just like, I'm retiring. I don't want to do this shit anymore. And you're insane. Yeah. And Brad's like, I'm not insane. I'm very smart. I'm just like kind of rogue. I know. I'm like a rogue teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rogue. But he gets very like, childlike in their in the arguments that they have which yeah. is really funny it's re- this is where brad's like comedic chops uh-huh. really come out in like a really dark film because he this ugh, the black comedy is spectacular like he is con mm-hmm. they're constantly surrounded by corpses and decaying bodies and like you know d- decrepit places like it's really fucked up around yeah. him but he manages to like make light of kind of any situation by acting like a total like brat basically yeah i mean and if you haven't seen this movie we're not saying that he like lightens it up he just no, no, acts no. really like pissy and like very nonchalant about like the yeah. shit like if like for example if i was in that position i would probably be throwing up and crying over the fact that like Correct. oh i'm surrounded by like human feces and like a corpse mm-hmm. right but no he takes like one look at it and he goes well morgan freeman i have a problem with you and yeah. like why won't you let me do x y and z <laughs> hey what the fuck <laughs> like and it's just very like the juxtaposition of like the sh- like his quote-unquote problems and like the shit that he has to deal with with morgan freeman mm-hmm. and the shit that's like physically going on around him is perfection it's really it's, it's really good it's really really good and it, it that kind of just touches on like what i love about his acting in general but especially like what i saw in this movie because this was relatively early in his career yes he was a young just like he looks so like comfortable mm-hmm. in every role I've ever seen him it's in. It's natural. Which is the point. And we've said this about other people. And we're like, yeah, they're so natural, which it feels stupid to keep saying that about <laughs> actors. But like it, it does take a lot of talent to make every single character you play incredibly human and like normal and make it look like you're not trying super hard. Yeah. Um, to me brad pitt has a very unique like i have not seen this in any other actor Mm -hmm. when i think of brad pitt this is what i think of which i don't think of which i don't think about when i think of any other actor yeah which is he does this incredible thing where he is both simultaneously Mm -hmm. incredibly nonchalant and comfortable about whatever the fuck's going on doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what it does not matter what it is very nonchalant and comfortable while simultaneously also being very invested and excited in what is happening yeah in the scene it does not matter what scene it is it does not matter what character he's playing for whatever reason he has this like signature of like being very like casual and comfortable and nonchalant about something while also being like sad or or depressed or angry or excited or whatever like really invested in it yeah well it's because the comfort we're talking about isn't like it's not like emotional comfort it's not where he's just like he like does it fine all the time he's comfortable feeling emotions yeah i think is really what it gets to he's very like take it or leave it with his acting style Mm -hmm. where it's just like this is who i am this is what i have to do this is how i feel yeah whatever and he's like super unapologetic which is makes it feel comfortable I think yes is what we mean and that's very unique yeah like when we say like oh other actors are very natural or because it does it really it really does take a lot of talent yeah to be to just be to just exist to just exist as your character yeah 
it, this is very different. And I think what we're trying to articulate is like <laughs> poorly coming across for me. Like I'm, I'm having a hard time sort of like putting it's, it's, my, it's hard to articulate yes, something because like that. it's like, it is not necessarily about him being natural. It is more so like you said about him being unapologetically like take it or leave it. I'm going to take what the scene is giving me and then I'm going to leave the shit that I don't want and I'm just going to present as myself right now in this moment as my yeah. character and that's that. I think I think it's like he's not pushing any kind of agenda. No. Brad Pitt isn't trying to tell you how he's feeling. No. He's just feeling yes. and it's emoting so well that like it comes across as incredibly natural because there's like there's no work in trying to get the audience to understand what's happening with precisely him. and i think it goes hand in hand with the other thing that i really love about him which is his body language yeah he constantly is so calculative about mm-hmm. his body language and like the way he swings his arms and the way he like carries his midriff yeah is from from movie to movie but especially in set seven n <laughs> in seven because he's like that rookie detective but still has like five years under his belt and like mm-hmm. wants you to know it. Yeah. And so he sta- the way he stands is again, both very nonchalant. Like ah, I've been here for five years. Like I know what the fuck I'm doing. And also like kind of scared a little bit. Yeah. Like frightened about like what's happening or and what's also, going like, on. I don't super know what to do here. Yeah. Like, like, like awkwardly, like, like kind of like opening and closing his fist or like awkwardly, like putting his hand down while also mm-hmm. trying to man- maintain like a really good stance of like, I am an authority figure. Yeah. Like, this is me. Well, he's an actor who understands that like acting uh, honestly comes down to it it rarely comes down to like the dialogue yeah or what or how you say what you say oh so much of it is in your body and just like how you exist in a space and it's something that i also really notice in his performances because that's something that i always struggled in when when i was acting a lot is like finding the comfort to just kind of like be like he's someone who's not afraid to like scratch his face or mm-hmm. like lean down and pick something up in yeah. a scene and because obviously those things aren't like blocked yeah 99 percent like, of the time david fincher's not gonna come up to him and go and then at this moment you're gonna scratch the he does this a lot where he scratches the inner corner of his eye yeah because it's like he's like annoyed or something like he'll go yeah and it's like that is very very natural uh-huh. and and it, it it couldn't have possibly been blocked or whenever he like he like um like sucks in his cheeks a little mm-hmm. bit and he's like really like really having it and it's very like under the surface it's very exciting to watch brad yeah. is a very exciting actor yeah which you might not think about if you think about him because you sort of only associate him with being like an action star or being like like just being hot just being like hot right <laughs> like being a body yeah but like He's very nuanced and he's very exciting to watch. And I think subconsciously, that's what like the, ma- the majority of the world like sees in him is like mm-hmm. subconsciously, he's very exciting and very nuanced on the surface. Yeah. He's a hot piece of ass. <laughs> like that's really what it is. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's especially exciting in this film just because of how high this movie escalates. Oh, to. It, it, it climbs. <laughs> I sort of viewed this movie as like a step, like a step ladder, but one of those step ladders at the gym that is yeah. both raising up while also you walk up. Uh, uh, you mean a uh, an elliptical? An elliptical. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I really saw we this go movie. to the gym a lot. Uh huh. <laughs> I really saw this movie like an elliptical because as things were progressing in the story, the individual characters is especially Brad Pitt were sort of reaching their breaking points. Like yeah. he reached multiple breaking points throughout the film where he, his character had to make a decision 
about whether or not to act on the feelings he was feeling. Yeah. And most of the time, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for the audience, because it's exciting to watch, but unfortunately for his character, he did. Yes. And he would get beat the shit out. Like, he would get the shit beat out of him. He would, like, fall from buildings. He uh-huh. would, like, he would, like, throw up. Like, there was just all this shit happening to him. Well, they set, the, they set the story up to basically show you, like, Brad Pitt is the emotional one. Yeah. Which is, which is an interesting choice. Like, very interesting. Brad, Brad Pitt's character is the one who's so emotionally invested in this. Yes. Morgan Freeman is, like, the one who is not, who's coming at it from a purely logical perspective. Yeah. And, like, both of them kind of end up being each other's downfall. Less so for Morgan Freeman, because he doesn't really have a downfall. But yeah. he has to sit back and watch it fucking happen. And he, it's, like, it's like watching a car crash. There's nothing you yeah. can do about it but stand there and watch and know that exactly. like this is happening and people are getting hurt. And that's really all it is that that was his role in that like climactic ending. Well, and also I'm sure he feels some sort of sense of like, if I were a little bit more emotionally invested, I could have prevented part of this happening. Right. Like, in, like he, right. I think Morgan Freeman's downfall to your point was just the sheer fact that he wasn't emotionally invested mm-hmm. and he let it, he sort of let it happen because had he been emotionally invested, he would have seen like the emotional cues that like Kevin Spacey's character yes, was giving. Exactly. And he would have seen, Oh no, this fucker's getting really emotionally invested in specifically Brad Pitt because he was constantly targeting him. The, the movie was giving you clues about it, mm-hmm. about how Kevin Spacey's character was like, you know, at the stairwell taking a photo of him mm-hmm. or, or chasing him down or et cetera, et cetera. Like it was very much targeted towards Brad Pitt for whatever reason. Serial killers are crazy. Yeah. Um, and had Morgan Freeman allowed himself to be like more tuned in mm-hmm. or more emotionally invested, yeah, he would have totally, I think, tuned into that and been like, holy shit, let's not do this. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's a larger statement about like what this film is about and uh, it's about like a lot of the flaw how like the individual flaws or in this case like the literal sins yeah of each person are their ultimate downfall um and then you get to the the end the end right which, we keep alluding to this end truly if you ever want to watch this movie and you don't know how it ends skip this skip portion. like there's this on spotify or like on apple apple podcast or whatever yeah. there's like this skipper for like 15 seconds yeah do it like three times yeah. uh but tell us what happens be, because there's there and if you haven't seen the movie you at least like know about the scene it's the what's in the box scene and they're, yeah. they're in the field and the box arrives and brad Pitt is like what's in the box what's in the box <laughs> what's in the box okay well first of all we have to unpack this before we get into what's in the box yeah. Because Brad Pitt knows what's in the box or he has a semblance yeah. of like what, like something in the box is going to ruin his mm-hmm. life, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't think it was literally, again, spoiler alert, the literal head of his head wife. Head of his wife. Ah! <laughs> so maybe he didn't think that, but he thought it was something that was going to like fuck him up, like yeah. something that was going to ruin him. And so you see Brad Pitt making these like, insane choices in his eyes and like his cheeks i don't know what the fuck it is about his cheeks but he like sucks them in and he's like what's in the box you see the because the camera stays on him when he finds out what it is and you see the waves of like disbelief rage horror (laughs) the literal wrath which is the the deadly sin that he is committing Mm -hmm. um like you see all of it come and then like he's chill for like two seconds and then he all of a sudden like, it comes again yeah and yeah. it's brilliant oh, those it's brilliant those like i think it's like two minutes total yeah. of like 
the time that Morgan Freeman brings over the box and the time that mm-hmm. Brad Pitt realizes what's in the box. Yeah. Oh my God. It is some of the most exciting acting I've ever fucking seen. It's, my eyes yeah. were glued to that man. Yeah, glued. Well, as soon as you see the the wide shot of the van coming down the hill, you're just like, oh fuck. Some, <laughs> some shit's about to go because down. Because even I, I knew what was in the box before I watched because this movie. Because it's such a famous scene. Exactly. But even then I was still like last 10 minutes of the movie going like, how the fuck is this going to play out? <laughs> right. <laughs> like I know Gwyneth is in the box, mm-hmm. but or something about Gwyneth is in the box. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, ultimately he shoots Kevin Spacey, which is that that's the final body because Kevin Spacey led them there being like, there's going to be two bodies. And you know what? Lo and behold, <laughs> Kevin, there's two bodies. He was right. He was right. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah it's just it's absolutely bizarre and I think that 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 allowed that gave Brad Pitt the platform Mm -hmm. to really like shine and show us what the fuck this bitch is made of because Uh honestly like after that I was like whoa (laughs) Brad Pitt (laughs) Brad Pitt could act well you like I said you saw all those waves and then he pulls the trigger and then it's just like nothing and then he feels nothing it is nonchalant you just see his eyes like blank this is what i am saying ladies and gentlefish he (laughs) literally like shoots this man and then goes like he doesn't say me but he goes with his body and then sort of just like stands there and like looks around and is like "Mm -hmm. yeah Uh uh-huh yeah Mm -hmm." and then the movie ends and then it's fucking over which well done, David Fincher. Well like done, a, Fincher. A, a perfect ending. I mean, you, you they have like the shot of the um the agents in the helicopter yeah, and they're just the like, helis. holy fucking shit, he shot him. He shot him. We gotta get somebody down here. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Shot them. And then you see him sitting in the back of a cop car and then and it's, again, and it's over. Blank expression. Mm-hmm. Like very like just like there's no grief you that's the knew thing. that this is the only way that this could have ended yes and i think that's really what he's playing in his mind is like well this is the only way i knew what i was getting myself into yeah this was the only way it could have ended mm-hmm. r.i.p like <laughs> yep jesus christ oh, oh what woof. a film woof what a film that was set seven and <laughs> by david fincher why did he choose to put the number seven honestly i don't know i think because when you turn it over it looks like a v but it doesn't look like a v standing up no i mean you because i think you see the number seven and then you automatically it's seven but that's just so stupid it was as silly as the title sequence silly 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 (laughs) silly fincher silly fincher (laughs) um well now we're gonna go to uh, another David Fincher movie. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. We, I guess we just didn't realize or we did. And it we was did, like, not like, that big fine. of a deal. Uh, it really, it's not that deep. It's really not that deep. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Jessica. So this is the curious case of Benjamin Button, <laughs> which came out in 2008 story by Eric Roth and Robin Swicord screenplay by Eric Roth based on the short story by F Scott Fitzgerald directed by David Fincher. Born under unusual circumstances, Benjamin Button, played by Brad Pitt, is born as an elderly man in New Orleans who is left on the doorstep of a nursing home after his mother dies in childbirth. Queenie, played by Taraji P. Henson, she's so fucking good in this movie. She's brilliant. She's she's just fucking brilliant. She's so brilliant. good. Um, 
she is a caretaker at the home and takes him in thinking he's dying, but instead he begins to age in reverse. 12 years after his birth, he meets Daisy, who the older Daisy is played by Kate Blanchett, a child who flickers in and out of his life as she grows up to be a dancer. Though he has all sorts of unusual adventures over the course of his life, it is his relationship with Daisy and his undying love for her that keeps him going and keeps their lives intertwined for better or for worse. Okay, serious question. Do you like this movie? <laughs> um, I enjoyed watching it. I don't have a desire to go watch it again anytime soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's really mostly because of the length. Like that, oh, that really is God. what it is for me. But <laughs> the thing is, is like they couldn't have shortened this movie. No, because it's a fucking like it's an epic. Load. It's an like, epic what like tale. <laughs> it's an an American tale. Five goes west. The only thing I think they could have cut is the all the shit about the clock. Oh yeah, like really. I understand what they were doing. It was, they were, it was a choice. He was using it like a literary device, but just like not necessary. It was a choice. (laughs) It was a choice. That that need not be chosen. (laughs) Okay. So I don't like this movie. Okay. But I feel like it's genuinely because it's just so long. Yeah. It's because it's really fucking long. And Yes, it needs to be, but I, I guess in my mind, I don't think that the subject matter is interesting enough to me personally sure. for me to like chug along and go like, yeah, yeah. This is not <laughs> the element of magical realism that you're like into. No, I'm like Isabel Allende, like give me like the, the ghost. I think I would have preferred it more if first let's cut the clock. Second of all, let's cut the whole like hurricane Kate Blanchett dying telling the story like I would have appreciated it much more if it was just the story yeah like exactly that's it I was gonna I was gonna kind of compare it to the notebook a little bit but like yeah like I didn't think there uh, needed to be a reason that this yeah. story was told yeah which I think them deciding that there needed to be a reason made it seem like they were unsure as filmmakers yeah which made <laughs> that me people sad. Would want to watch it <laughs> yeah yeah. Or like not be able to understand why, but it's like, it's magical realism. That's why. It's a beautiful film. I, I think it's shot beautifully. I, I mean, what I told you is all I could think about the whole movie was how expensive it was. Yeah. Which is because they had tried to make it sooner with, I think, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Which, the by the way, I hate Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really like Tom Cruise, despite that in real life, he's like questionable, but uh, I really like him. But anyway, they tried to make it with him and it was just simply too expensive. Yeah. I just, I I can't, I, I find myself not necessarily relating to the movie. So I watched this, this movie for like the first time when I was mm-hmm. like, what, like 10? I don't know. But <laughs> I was so fascinated by it because it was, it was so, like you're, to use your word, epic. Like yeah. I was like, fuck man, this is, this is filmmaking. Like what the fuck? Yeah. And watching it as an adult uh, <laughs> with many epics in between then and now, yeah. I'm just like, there, I feel like this. There are better ways to tell this story if this story even needs to be told at all. Sure, I do think though that like when it comes down to Brad Pitt's performance, like obviously he's amazing, but it is the epic nature of this film that forced him to be amazing mm-hmm. because he had. I mean, so so the way that they had to do it for special effects purposes is that they had like little old men as his body yeah. for like the first part of the movie. And then they CGI'd Brad Pitt's face like onto, onto it. it. 
and it's uncanny sometimes, but most of the time it's not, which is a feat. So <laughs> I, I, I don't want to sort of like leave it by saying that I don't like it. Yeah. I think it is an incredibly well-made film. Yeah. I mean, it's I think definitely it is like a beautiful. feat. It's, it's a, a feat, feat of filmmaking. It yeah. is a fucking feat of filmmaking and mad fucking respect to that. Yeah. But please keep going, Jessica. <laughs> but like, you just have to think about like what Brad Pitt had to go through oh as God. an actor as a face to like make this movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's why it's impressive. Yes. Is because he's so he, it's not only just like all this CGI shit going on, like the technical aspect of it, but he's playing someone who is very, he's in an old man's body initially, but he is also a child mentally in, in innocence and in knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So someone aging in reverse, like, and there's just so many circumstances that he has to deal with as an actor that somehow Works. he comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Like he he just plays such a purely good person mm-hmm. with a, such a pure sense of curiosity about like the world and about the people around him. And that is the part of the movie that I really enjoyed was just being like, you have all these fucking circumstances and yet you somehow come out as like a really digestible person who just like is who he is. Like again, another unapologetic character. That That's what I really love about yeah, it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that there is a, that, that there is a, there's this feat that is this actually insane mm-hmm. movie yeah. where he has to literally, quite literally bend over backwards in order to, give an honest performance yeah and i think that the feat in and of itself is something to commend him for in general because mm-hmm. i think that a doing a movie like this is fucking hard and b doing a movie like this with your character literally aging in reverse is even harder so i think that i i actually found myself really being drawn to brad pitt's like more innocent qualities exactly. which i've never I've never considered him to be like a more someone who can play like a more innocent, innocent yeah. uh, character. But, you know, you saw kind of glimpses of it in seven because obviously like he's a rookie. So he has to have that sort of like shiny new penny, yes. like, you know, less of an edge to him. But like in Benjamin Button, he is childlike, quite literally. And yeah. uh, it is exciting and refreshing to see someone like Brad Pitt say yes to a project like this and then go, where is my inner child and how can I bring that inner child out? How do I bring out curiosity? How do I bring out creativity? Like how do I formulate my opinion about morality and like people? Cause a lot of the big part of the film is him like sort of like wrapping his head around like people and like how they function, how they make decisions and like the morality behind all of it. Yeah. And I think that him sort of like internally looking at himself and going like, how would I do that as a Mm -hmm. child and growing into myself? Because I think that as an adult, you often forget how you formed your moral compass exactly. and you often forget how, how like, oh, I used to ask all these questions. Like I used to not know anything. So I used mm-hmm. to say like, what's that? What does it do? What's this? What does that do? And I think Brad Pitt being able to like, look, at, look, look within and like <laughs> figure out where his inner child comes out of and then having that translate on into this film mm-hmm. is incredible. And it is so fascinating to watch. Yeah, like I wouldn't even know where to begin playing a child, let alone a child stuck in like an old person's body because like 
he he does have these physical limitations but at the end of the day he's a kid like he he's a kid who just wants to play with other kids and when he feels joy it's pure joy when he feels anger it's pure anger it's like not very nuanced because it's he's simply not old enough to have had anything to inform nuance in his emotions. And that's so difficult when he was like, what in his fucking like late thirties when he did this movie, early forties, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have so much of your life to inform that trying to like delete things from your brain and play pure emotion is it's fascinating. And that that's like the most rewarding part of this performance. Right. And I think that it is an, it is a pleasure and a joy to watch Brad Pitt's process yeah. as the movie progresses. Cause it's chronological, but also kind of not, yeah, it's nonlinear a little bit, <laughs> which to me is really personally, it's a little confusing, but it is what it is. <laughs> and I just have to deal with it. But for Brad Pitt to watch him go through this process of being essentially a blob mm-hmm. of a human and then form himself into a an informed, intelligent, curious, but mature yes. individual towards the end was incredibly gratifying. Yeah. And I think the nuance in Brad Pitt's performance was the kind of the only thing at this point when I watched the movie again that sort of like drove me forward yeah. and led me to the end of the film. Well, yeah, and there are definitely individual sections of this movie that are way more gratifying than others. Oh, absolutely. Like I really love the section um, with him and Tilda Swinton. Ugh. Like it's one of my favorite parts. First of all, Tilda. <laughs> so, so good. Like, and he, he has a lot of voiceover narration yeah. of this because the way that it's set up is like the daughter of Kate Blanchett is reading the diary, but it's being read in Brad's voiceover or whatever. And um, he has all these really wonderful lines where he is confessing um, about like how how these this part of his life is like, like that's what made him a man yeah, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that was the first time I ever kissed a woman. It's not something you ever forget. Right. And just like these beautiful worldly thoughts that like you wouldn't have expected from him because he was very like childlike at the time. Exactly. You know? And I think that a lot of it just has to do with the fact that like a lot of the times what we don't realize is children and, and Brad Pitt was the man to sort of teach me this, <laughs> which is crazy. And it's why we're doing this episode. Yeah. A lot of the times people don't realize that children know a lot. Yes. Like like a child's brain is full of like questions and ideas and like philosophies and principles and, and ideologies mm-hmm. that we know nothing about because their mouth has not caught up to their brain yet. And I think in this situation, the way that sort of like Brad Pitt and the filmmakers went was like, okay, well you are in a a more mature body. You're able to formulate more mature words with your Mm -hmm. mouth. Like how would you formulate these opinions? Like how would you say these things? Right. And I think like to me, that's so fascinating. And I think that I, I I'd like to believe that Brad Pitt played like a large role, not in the dialogue, but in the delivery of like, okay, well I'm going to come at this from the perspective of like, yes, my brain is like kind of limited, uh, and my body is kind of limited, but I think that there's a lot of like back, like backwards and forward. It's very much back to the yeah. future mentality of like, well, this is how my body is now, but this is how my brain is. So when you combine those two things, this is what you get. And yes. I fucking love that. Yeah. That's the part that makes it super fascinating because like 
he has been an observer for so much of his life because he was super fucking old and like yeah. couldn't walk on his own and things like that. But because he looked old, people treated him like an adult. Yes. And so now when he finally has this agency, like physical agency of his body, he has all of these like incredibly progressive thoughts and, and opinions and, and like opinions ideologies but they philosophies. come from a very purely good place because of like also how he was raised yes and the right. people he grew up around like that informs a big part of it. it it's just it's really it's really interesting it is and it answers kind of like so many different questions of i mean it doesn't necessarily answer but it 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 brings up and tries to answer mm-hmm. sort of the questions of like well what makes us childlike yeah. what makes us human what makes something moral what makes something immoral yeah like how do your opinions and thoughts and ideas how do they formulate is it your is it the people around you is it your like observation like what is it and i think brad pitt surprised a lot of people with being able to literally take this like fat ass mold of clay and like like beat the shit out of it and come out with like i don't know a swan like he just did an incredible job of taking these questions which he he definitely as an actor had to think himself Mm -hmm. and like spit out something absolutely beautiful yeah he was he was the like such a perfect vehicle for forcing us to kind of think about like what really are the differences between someone who is very very young and someone who is very very old Mm -hmm and how society treats those people when really on like a technical level there isn't that much difference no and not only is is there not that much difference but unfortunately the way that people treat you exactly has a huge difference even though your body and sort of your mind are sort of back to that place of like yeah you know what i know everything so i know nothing Mm -hmm. and i i and i've had this body for a hundred years and now it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that like, even though men- mentally, emotionally, and physically you're in very similar places, the way that people treat you are so fucking different. Yeah. And it's just, it's just fascinating. Yeah. It, and it was, it was a joy to like get that kind of, um, I don't know, to get that thought process going in a movie that is so kind of wild. <laughs> it is wild. And I think, yeah, it is wild. And I don't know that I would ever watch it again no uh, i mean if like five years from now someone was like i really fucking want to watch benjamin <laughs> button i'd be like i guess but <laughs> but like okay yeah exactly uh, but i will say like watching brad pitt in this and watching him sort of like ping pong with himself mm-hmm. and like the different aspects of himself yeah and everything that we literally just unpacked like yeah. it was a fucking joy it was ten a joy out of 10 brad Bartholomew Pitt we love you yeah and also just a really good supporting cast so duh I mean come on they're uh, (laughs) so now we move to one of my most favorite films that Monica shits on me for talking about all the time (laughs) no 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 that's not what it is I shit on you for talking about this director all the time I don't talk about Quentin all the time. I talk about this movie <laughs> specifically all the time. You're like, what is it with you and this movie? Uh, what movie <laughs> is it? Well, I'll fucking yeah, you tell, tell me. You. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh yeah. It came out in 2019, the year of our Lord, the year before the fall. <laughs> the before time. Uh, the before times. By the way, fun fact, I saw this, I think the weekend that it came out mm-hmm. at the City Walk AMC oh, nice. and like no one was there. I saw it in this. <laughs> Cinerama Dome. Oh, nice. With a with a man who I had met on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. I fell asleep, full disclosure, because uh, it was a long movie and it was a very
very late. Uh, Incredible. But then I watched it again and I have different thoughts. So uh, anyway, written and directed by obviously Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, was once the star of a highly popular TV series, but a few bad choices have set his career back, leaving him wondering if he should quit showbiz altogether. His best friend is Cliff Booth, played by the one and only Brad Pitt, an aging stuntman who was Dalton's stunt double for most of his career. Together, they navigate Hollywood and strive to reignite their careers as their lives intertwine with Rick's next-door neighbors, Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, and Roman Polanski, as well as the infamous Manson family, in the fateful summer of 1969. Yeah, baby. Oh, boy, the summer. <gasps> Is that the summer of love? Is that what they called that year? Yeah. The, the summer of that year? Yeah, that year was fucked up. Yeah, if you want to talk about like, year. If you want to talk about, like, 2020... <laughs> 2020 has nothing Let's on talk about 1969 in Los Angeles, California. Bro. <laughs> oh my God. Just like, I remember hearing about this movie and then, um, I remember when they shut Hollywood down oh to God. film this movie. Okay. <laughs> like I had friends who lived on Santa Monica in the section where they shut it off and they would like walk past filming all the time. And I was so excited for this fucking movie to come out and it delivered, which is, that's one of the most gratifying feelings because it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So just to sort of like put this into context, I was, one of the major things I was completely fascinated by Uh was the sheer fact that these fuckers had the balls and the money to shut down Los Angeles, which again, context, that never never that i'm gonna say it one more time for the peeps in the back (laughs) that never happens it does not happen no it never happens never in a million years would it ever fucking happen except for this one instance where it happened yeah like they restored the cinerama dome to how it looked in 1969 they did not use like a lot of cgi for this shit Mm -hmm. we're talking like they like repainted re-put up redid all of these like areas of Los Angeles that they like they shot yeah. in by hand yeah using set pressing a, lo- a lot of them are still like how they were in the movie because because everyone in LA was just like this is fucking great let's just leave it <laughs> and I'm just like what the fuck yeah like they shut down huge sections of the freeway it was wild. It was big as as someone who appreciates this sort of thing mm-hmm. it is think about it like if you just sit there in your armchair and like think about what it takes to actually do that (laughs) yeah it's it's fucking mind-blowing so well now that that's out of the way because that was a big chunk of my appeal towards this movie oh yeah uh because it just it's such a fucking feat it's like watching king kong climb up like Mm -hmm. like the fucking tower it's this it has the same effect of like what the fuck just happened uh it's truly the eighth wonder of the world is stripping down los angeles and shutting it down yeah well, we already know that I'm obsessed with this movie. So, Monica, tell me how you feel about it because you your opinion has shifted slightly. My opinion has shifted. I walked out of the movie theater assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I walked out of the movie theater completely assaulted. Granted, I fell asleep for a baby chunk of it. What, I don't. I'm do not you know gonna. What part? 
uh, I fell asleep right before the chaotic ending. Oh my god! So I missed like the lead into the chaotic ending. Oh, so when that's I the best part. So of when the movie. I opened my eyes, all I saw were them like stabbing and beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> so I just want to let you know that. Okay. Um, I absolutely adored Brad Pitt's performance and his chemistry and relationship with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, they're they're adorable together. They're perfect together. And I think that They're just so cute. They're I'm cute. Just, and like the the comedy chops on both yes. of them. But the thing <gasps> is is like the comedy chops on both of them specifically together together oh my god you don't get to see comedy come out of leo that often no you i mean you really don't you really don't and oh my god what a fucking joy like that's a whole separate thing how good he was in this movie because it really is like one of my most favorite performances of his yes um he also got to improv slightly in this movie which never fucking happens for especially not with quentin tarantino but also not for leo but brad he like he won his Oscar, his acting Oscar for this movie, and it's super well it deserved. It is so well deserved. Um, I just a big so yeah. So I sort of came out of the movie theater feeling really assaulted mm-hmm. because uh, personally, I'm not like a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino. That's fine. Big chocolate. I know he he, he ha- there are problems. He's not for everyone, and I also sometimes have problems with the feet. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) defeat, but it is what it is. You're into what you're into. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, (laughs) I'm not gonna judge. Um, But you know, it's not, he's not for everyone. And that's the truth is, is he has a very specific stylized, you know, he he has a specific style that's not for everyone. And I don't know if it's for me, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is actually such an incredibly well-made film that I sort of forgot it was a Quentin Tarantino movie until it was a fucking Quentin Tarantino movie at the end. Well, that that's why the whole time I was watching this movie and I haven't seen every single one of Quentin's movies, but like I would say 75% of the majority, point, the majority. And I was watching because it's almost three hours long. I think oh, it's like two yeah. hours and 46 minutes. It's really long, which y'all know how we feel up until the last movies. 20 minutes and you're going like, so so did he direct this when is the quentin tarantino part of this coming because if you know his movies they're very violent there's a lot of violence and there's usually always one scene one big scene of violence and it doesn't usually happen right at the end of the movie no it's usually like at the climax or like in the middle yeah or in the beginning like he places it in like weird places this climax is a big is like this movie is a slow burn in general because it's not there's not like one singular plot no it's many Um, many many plots all sort of like coming together like love actually but not the same (laughs) yeah well it's because quentin he wrote this movie because he just wanted to make something that was about like his childhood essentially yeah yeah. and like the backdrop of his childhood and that's what this was so a lot of it is very much just like you're kind of just observing um a lot of these different stories and like the culture of hollywood at the time and like the aesthetic etc and then it actually becomes about something and if you know there are stakes and there are real stakes if you know anything about la in the 60s you know about the manson family and um 
big spoiler alert here because you know that like this is the night that Sharon Tate gets murdered. Yes, in her home. In her home. Pregnant. Pregnant, about to give birth with her three friends Mm -hmm. while Roman Polanski's out of the country. And so you know that that's what happens. And so you're watching literally up until the point that the Manson family is walking up the hill to the house and you're going, how the fuck is he going to handle this? Like how does this play out? Because this is history, right? Like this is real. I Yeah, I was in the theater and I remember sitting there with like my fists clenched. Yeah, I had to piece so bad going like um i hope he he figures out a way to handle this properly yeah and then he does yeah and it's fucking brilliant yeah here's the thing (laughs) growing up in la you heard a lot about the manson family like no one no one ever shut the fuck up about the manson family (laughs) because when dude okay when something like that happens yes in your city granted la is a huge city we've had many a weirdo but like this is big. It was it was a cult. It wasn't it was, just like a yes, serial killer. It was a cult of people who call themselves the Manson family. And they they sort of like all rallied behind this one guy, yeah. Charles Manson, if in case for whatever reason you don't know somehow. Um but the Manson family and specifically Charles Manson were a huge topic of conversation growing up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Like parents would always be like you don't want to you don't want to get fucking mighted yeah and especially because charles manson until like a year or two ago was still alive was alive and well was alive and well (laughs) um so (laughs) it's just really when i say that it's so ingrained in like los angeles culture um it is and a lot of the people in the movie theater you could feel like the tension which obviously is just good filmmaking you could feel the fucking tension of everyone being like what the fuck is going to happen to this goddamn ending and he does this incredible thing where he shifts the whole goddamn narrative. Yeah. So if you haven't, this is another huge spoiler. If you haven't seen this movie and you don't want the ending spoiled, I highly recommend you do not spoil the ending. Please don't spoil the ending. It's incredibly gratifying because Quentin does an amazing job of building your anxiety yes. to such a breaking point and then giving you a huge sigh of relief, but by also like hyping you up with this insane gory scene. It's like, it's kind of crazy. So he does the thing that he does in Inglorious Bastards where he Ugh. like rewrites history, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the Manson family comes, but they they don't go to Sharon Tate's house. They go to Leonardo DiCaprio's house yes. instead. And Brad Pitt is high on acid mm-hmm. and he's just standing there when the Manson family comes in and then they all start trying to kill each other. Yeah, and then, and then at that point in the movie, it became a Quentin Tarantino yes. film. And that was when I said, huh, I like a Quentin Tarantino <laughs> film. So really quick, back to Brad Pitt. Yeah. That last scene with Brad Pitt, high on acid, with his BFF, Leo D. Yes. Uh, what the fuck? He's incredible. That he, scene sealed the deal. He's a comedy lord. Yes. He's a physical <laughs> comedy lord. He's not just he's not just a yeah. snarky or a black comedy lord. No, 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 bitch. He's a physical comedy lord. He's a king. He's a prince. Like, what the there fuck? There were parts of that last scene that were like a little slapsticky almost. Yeah. Very and, like farcical. Like yeah, very, it's insane. Yeah. Yes, and it's so fucking funny. Like him and Austin Butler. Who oh, like, Austin Butler never would have thought twice about this fucker, but I he's know. so good. But he's actually really good. He's really good as Tex. And he comes in and he's just like, I'm the devil motherfucker. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, here iconic. to do the devil's work. Yeah. <laughs> and he, Brad Pitt's just like, 
No. 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 Go back. I know you. Yeah. You were from that ranch and you came in on a horsey. I know. It's truly iconic. You can tell just how much fun Brad Pitt is having in this fucking scene. Yes. He's having a great fucking time. And that's, it's so like rewarding to get to see an actor have fun. Yes, absolutely. And not just that, but like, again, back to this whole like slapsticky, like weird physical comedy moment. He can hold his own, which is insane to say because it is Brad fucking Pitt. It's Brad fucking Pitt against the Manson family. Like the stakes (laughs) are about as fucking high as they could be. This is the highest the stakes can go. Stakes on stakes on stakes. It's not just Brad Pitt against the Manson family. It's Brad Pitt high on acid against the Manson family. With like kind of no weapon. Zero weapon. (laughs) Zero weapon. Just his two fists. That's what I was going to say. They say kind of because it's his two meaty fists. Yeah, because he's a stunt man. Yes. like he's got that body, adi, he's got adi. that body, adi, adi, <laughs> but body. He also has the real star of the film, the dog. Yes, Brandy, who, much like in Widows, is <laughs> full billing, like top billing, full character. This dog, this dog, this fucking dog. I don't think star. I would have liked the movie quite as much without the dog. No, because she has her whole like she's a full ass character. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. But like even more so than in Widows. Like like it ends happily because of the fucking dog. The dog saves the day. Yes. (laughs) I'm just like, it is is this sort of like physical comedy, kind of like weird comedy that I never really expected to come out of a Quentin Tarantino film. No. And it did. And it was surprising. And the actor's knocked it out of the fucking park and Brad Pitt held his own and he brought so much to the fucking table that I did not know this fucker was capable of and he delivered. Absolutely. Well, and it also like comes back to like outside of that that ending scene, the entire movie, it comes back to that thing that we talked about loving about him where it's just so like unapologetic. He's very much just like, this is who I fucking am. Yeah, like fuck you. <laughs> like, and and they kind of write little bits in for him, like the whole like murdering his wife yes. thing. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Where he's like, you can think I murdered my wife, but I really don't care what you think about yeah. me. Or like, yeah, I'll pick up this Manson girl and I don't really care what you think about me. Yeah. He's just like so fucking confident. And it's it's amazing to watch. It's just incredible. I, and I love that he's like, he's obviously like not a man of means because he's like a stuntman. No. So his whole digs are like kind of like not great. And no. like his whole situation is like not great. But then he, the whole point is that he, he basically like mooches off of Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, his identity is attached to, is attached to Rick Dalton. Yes. And like, but he's okay with that. Yeah. He's cool with it. He, he's so confident in the fact that this is who he is that he doesn't care that he's like low-key living in squalor and like wears the same like what is it like a hawaiian (laughs) t-shirt like (laughs) and jeans he wears moccasins yeah and it's Uh just it's one of those things where you're just like huh okay okay (laughs) like you're like i'll lean into that yeah okay brad (laughs) okay yeah he's just like confident borderline cocky which especially when he's as hot as he is 
is extra hot in oh, this yeah. movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh god, especially when he like takes off his shirt and he's fixing the 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 cable. The the the. <laughs> it's, I think it's like an antenna, the antenna? up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh he, <laughs> yeah, it's steamy, baby. It's steamy. steamy. Um, when he picks up what's her face from Margaret Qualley. <laughs> yes, I can never say her name right. I had no idea literally until about a month ago that she was Andy McDowell's daughter. Yeah. No clue. She's gorgeous. She's stunning. She's stunning. Ugh. Uh, and her favorite. Margaret Qualley plays the same character in this movie as she did in uh, that other movie that yeah. we watched. Yeah. Ms. Quaalude is a, uh, she's so good. <laughs> <laughs> she's so good. Um, but anyway, when Brad Pitt picks her up, you mm-hmm. can see sort of like the different phases of, of, of scared go through his face. <laughs> yeah. Of like, how old are you? <laughs> like yep. really trying his best to seem like in control of the situation and really, um, it's just brilliant. Really being like, I know what I'm doing. I know. I already know how old you are. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. While simultaneously being like, I don't know how fucking old you are. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, he figures out how to toe the line of being like ultra confident, like this cocky kind of asshole in a lot of ways, but also not being like a slime ball. Right. Which, which is hard. Which it's is, hard to do that, which, especially when you're as hot as he right. is. But I love that because the thing is, stuntmen have have to have a level of fear in order to keep themselves safe. Yeah. Which I love that that aspect, aspect of his character shines through in all other parts of his character. Yes. Like, as a stuntman, you have to have a certain level of fear to keep you and your body safe. Yeah. Because otherwise you're fearless, right? Correct. That's obviously, like, how you get over yourself to, like, do the mm-hmm. stunts. But you have to maintain a specific level of fear. And I love that in like every scene where he's approaching danger mm-hmm. you see it flash on his face yeah and it is fucking brilliant you see him uh, like you you can literally see him keeping himself in line yes uh which which is so great and i love i love the scene where he's at the manson ranch and he goes to like find brewster and yes. he's like pretty oh, sure that they murdered that's him. my favorite scene in the whole movie <laughs> Especially because Bruce Dern's just like, get the fuck get out of my, out house. Of my house. And he's like, okay. He's like, I just wanted to check on you. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm a Rick Dalton stuntman. I, we used to work together. And he's like, mm, I don't remember you. <laughs> it is just incredible because he just applies this like i'm gonna check myself before i wreck myself Uh kind of a vibe of like let me limit or let me let me reach my limit of the amount of fear i'm supposed to have in order to gauge the situation and then be completely fearless and cocky beyond that yeah and it is glorious because you can see it in his eyes you can see it in his body like his hesitation Mm -hmm. but then you know confidently strutting forward after that yeah and it's just it is it just goes to show you how much brad pitt truly cared and took such deep appreciation Mm -hmm. and deep like calculation and care in his role in order to truly become this fucker stunt man yeah (laughs) well it makes it that much more gratifying when you get to the end because the acid removes that part the acid removes the fear which is why he gets to utter all of these truly insanely hilarious lines So when when you have no filter, when you have no limiter, when you have no fear, yeah. it's like, who is this guy? And we see who he is and it is brilliant. Yeah. You, when he literally laughs in the face of 
insane danger. Yes, literally, <laughs> but like literally yeah. laughing in the face. In the face of, of danger. danger. And then that's what lets him come out on top because it's funny in a weird way in that last scene, he's more insane than the Manson family. Exactly. Because (laughs) he's putting himself in front. They have the power here really because they're coming in with a plan. Yeah. With knives. Yes. B with knives. C with conviction. Uh Uh-huh. And he has nothing except his wit. (laughs) His wit, his dog. His wit, his dog. And I, his life and the the acid, (laughs) the acid, the acid coursing through his body. So when his inhibitions sort of like come down Mm -hmm. and he has no sense of anything except for, Ooh, look at the shiny people in front of me with their shiny knives. Yep. It is absolutely gratifying to watch him take that and go, let me have no filter. Let me have no limiter. And let's see how I, let's see, let's see how I play with no fear. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so fun. I love this movie. It's such a good fucking time. And Leo DiCaprio at the end with the fucking flamethrower. Oh my God. Hilarious. So funny. Well done, Quentin. Good job, my guy. (laughs) Really good job. And also like it did make me feel good knowing like Quentin's intentions as a filmmaker with this movie. Yeah. Like because the Sharon Tate issue is very delicate. Oh, Um, absolutely. And he like he had Sharon Tate's like sister on set and like really consulted with her family and like really just wanted to preserve her in a way. Yeah, and Margot Robbie did a beautiful oh, beautiful job. Beautiful just, job. Just gorgeous. Like, uh, honoring that that woman's life without making it like sad and pitiful. Yeah, honoring the woman's life, her look and her like mannerisms, mm-hmm. her conviction and like her her zest, if you will, yeah. for life. Um, because Sharon Tate was a gorgeous person yes. and a, uh, just a brilliant talent. And I just think that like the way that Margot Robbie did it, the way that, that Quentin Tarantino and the rest of the filmmakers did it was really tasteful. Yes. And I think changing the narrative and changing the history at the end, obviously like obviously made it less sad, but also I think in a way sort of like preserved like her legacy. And yeah. it was just really nice at the end to watch her like sort of standing at the door being happy with her like pregnant belly he let her live when she didn't get to and that's why i really love that her involvement her character's involvement in the movie is a lot of just like watching her exist yeah she's not like a part of any specific plot line and it's because that's what she didn't get to do in real life because she was murdered and so i think that that's why i love this movie so much because it took something so tragic and really I gave like a weird sense of closure, like yeah. a cultural sense of closure yeah. because also what a big cultural phenomenon this movie was. Oh yeah. So, Oh yeah. Because this movie essentially said, let's close the book. Mm-hmm. Not, let's not forget, but let's close the book on like the obsession with this time. Exactly. And kind of like move on, like let's move on y'all. Yeah. Like, there are other stories to tell. Mm-hmm. There are other things to be afraid of. Yeah. There are other things to tell your kids to watch out for when they go out. Yep. <laughs> so you know what? Like, let's close the book on this. Let's remember Sharon Tate's legacy. Let's fuck off Roman Polanski because yep. he's the <laughs> fucking worst. And let's like move on and and party and, and have a good time. Yeah. I just think that that's another level of why I love this movie because you get to, you get that sense of closure while also being like, what a good fucking ride with yeah. Leo and Brad. Yeah. Like two incredible vehicles to tell this whole story through. And what this... This movie taught me was how brilliant Brad Pitt is at being a co-lead and like really just like 
like honing in on like the male energy next to him and yeah. sort of like really bouncing off of it and being unafraid to like love on the person mm-hmm. and like be with the other person in, yes. in a very obviously obviously platonic but like understanding that like brad pitt loves this this man right yeah. and like has a relationship with this man he did it in like he's he's just a good duo guy like he's really good at that which is surprising because of how people kind of like like deify him for yeah. his for his looks mm-hmm. and i feel like you see some actors like that especially more modern actors who are super hot and they like get these roles because only because they're super hot yeah and then it kind of all goes to their head and brad's like yeah but i knew from day one that there was more to me and I proved that on day one. So now I can do these like buddy roles and they're they're amazing. Yeah. Like him and him and George, ooh, beautiful duo. Oh yeah. Him oh. and Leo, incredible duo. Incredible. Let's see who else he duos with. <laughs> I love a nice Brad duet. Yeah. Love a good love a good don't go break in my heart with Brad <laughs> and insert person here. <laughs> oh, well, that was Brad. That was Bartholomew Pitt. I love him. He's so good. I can't wait to see what he does next in his new phase of life. He's someone who's like talent, who's like true talent. I came to recognize later in my like exploration of film. Yeah. I kind of always like, yeah, he's like pretty. I guess he's good. Like I hear he's good, but. And we're in the same boat as that, right? Because my whole life. I, I thought, well, my whole childhood really is, I thought Brad Pitt, ooh, Brad Pitt and Angelina, mm-hmm. ooh, Brad and Jennifer, ooh, 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 sexiest man alive. And that was kind of it though. Yeah. I, did, I was like, he's in movies, but that's not what makes him special. Exactly. What makes him special is- Is that he's a himbo. That he's literally like hot. <laughs> yeah. He's the hottest, hottest man alive. Yeah. People said so. So in my mind, I'm like, I can't believe I wasted so much of my- like life thinking that he was nothing more than like a piece of ass yeah which is sad but like unfortunately that's how a lot of people marketed him yeah which is depressing when you think about like what he could have been doing this whole time and how his percept like people's perception of him could have been shifted had they just let him exist and and be hot and talented well i mean he he has gotten the roles that's the thing but like even even if you see the movies if that's all you came in thinking about him like you're not going to take the time to think about like, well, what is he doing with his acting? Like, mm-hmm. why is this performance special? Why yeah. is this showing true talent? And then you just like, don't bother. And then you still come out of watching these movies thinking like, well, he's just hot. Yeah. And there's so much in the media that prevents you from being like, yeah. he's talented first, right? There's so much in the media that like capitalizes on his hotness that you you are like literally primed to go into a Brad Pitt movie going, Brad Pitt is hot. Yeah. Instead of, brad pitt is talented yes so it's just interesting there to sort of think about as we like as we close out this chapter of brad (laughs) is like to think about just like how the media has shaped him and then how you and i saw him to begin Mm -hmm. with and like how we see him now yeah and he's one of those people who pushes me now to look deeper oh yeah through these other like pretty face actors Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. oh Oh. what a guy we love you brad we love you brad so jessica yes what have you been babbling in (laughs) um uh well uh, again nothing too exciting i rearranged my bedroom yesterday which you know super exciting but um something i recently become very obsessed with is i followed a bunch of um b as in like bumblebee rescue accounts on instagram (laughs) and now i'm incredibly soothed by watching these experienced bee rescuers like like 
like save hives of bees and like, how do you save a hive so like like let's say uh, like i first saw it because there was this video of this um woman who she runs a bee rescue are they beekeepers yeah they're beekeepers but they like they uh, have bee rescues and so like like if you find a really huge beehive in like your backyard or in your house or something and you're like this needs to go because not in la bees (laughs) but (laughs) but uh you call them and they come and like safely transport the bees somewhere else like safe to preserve them oh dude it's fucking like magical to watch because they just like do the little smoke and then the bees are calm. And then this one girl, I mean, most of them go in with equipment, but this one bitch literally like pulled up a floorboard of an old shack that had a huge oh. hive attached to the bottom. Oh. Bees everywhere, bare hands, no equipment, nothing on her face. And she just like reaches in and scoops out clumps of bees and like shakes them into a box. And you're just like, oh my god okay that would freak me the fuck out when i was a wee lad i was riding my bicycle we used to my dad um like uh was redoing the house by himself Uh when he when he used to have a home before uh, 2008 yeah um and uh uh he was like retiling like parts of the house yeah uh because you know we mexicans were obsessed with tile yes love Uh, tile we love tile um and so uh he was like retiling like parts of the house Uh and i would i what i would do is with all the broken tile because it was like really big pieces of of Uh tile for the floor um and what i would do is i would take like the the like broken pieces that he didn't use Mm -hmm. and like make a ramp with them yeah on uh my with my bike to like ride on them okay yeah and uh obviously they broke every single time sure. so i'm a fucking i'm eight years old and like a fucking <laughs> idiot or how, or how you old you don't understand I physics and i don't get physics okay i don't fucking get it yeah and so i was riding my bike and i was like riding it really weirdly and i was like wobbling a little bit and one of the pieces broke like the little like the the yeah, yeah. Um, the tile pieces that made a ramp broke in half yes and so my bike skirted forward and the wheel like popped up and uh-huh. so i flew off of my bike which is how i got i think i have many scars on my face but it's okay. how i got i think the one by my eye and i like flew and my dad had this old volvo that he did not drive anymore that was like an old station wagon volvo from like mm-hmm. the 90s like the early 90s and i fell under it because it was like off to the side and i was like propelled Uh forward and so i fell not under it but like right so that my face was like right under the under the car and there was a huge beehive oh fuck right there and i screamed so (laughs) hard that the ice tree the ice cream truck guy who was like driving past stopped and was like you okay? <laughs> and I was just sitting there like screaming with like yes, my- Yes, but bring me a push pop. <laughs> no, on it. Bring me my SpongeBob gumbo popsicle. A choco taco if you have it. Please. Uh, and I was just sitting there staring at uh-huh. it. And so like in my mind, I am al- I always have this like burned in picture of this like yeah. beehive. And I, w- you know, granted I was wearing my Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses helmet. Naturally. So naturally I was protected, but had one of the bees like <laughs> bit sung my head, I would have been a goner. <laughs> 
are you allergic to bees? I don't know. You would not have been a goner. You just had a bee sting. Yeah. I've had several bee stings, like really bad ones. I stepped on a bee once and I literally collapsed. Oh my. Because it hurt so bad. I've been stung by many. I've never been stung by a bee, but I've been stung by many wasps. Interesting. I've been stung by a wasp once on my knee. I've been stung by a yellow jacket. Oh. Bad, bad news bears. And stung by a bee, I think twice. Once in my butt and once in my foot. Ooh, they wanted that (laughs) ass. Um, What I was going to say is I've only been stung by like the wasps yellow jackets because yeah. I used to go camping a lot with my Got dad it. there were no bees there were like only wasps Shocking. and yellow jackets because we were like in LA I mean Everyone, there are bees in LA yeah but like we're in like Carpinteria and like all oh, that okay. yeah, all yeah, that yeah, jazz yeah. and whatever and um it's just it's just one of those things where it's like you always get stung by wasps and yellow jackets but I've never been stung by a bee and so whenever I see a bee I think it's a wasp or a yellow jacket and then when I realize it's fuzzy and, and like round <laughs> I'm like hmm I should leave it alone. See, even though I've been stung twice, I mean, mind you, they did not approach me and sting me. One time I sat on it. Oh the my other God. Time I stepped on it. <laughs> That's terrible. So, uh, like, but bees are just, they're so important for yeah, the I know. environment, which is why this bee rescue was like, this is so wholesome and also weirdly therapeutic to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that what I'm saying is that would freak me out. I'll because send you of the a video though. and you can see. You, you, I, please yeah. don't send me a video. Just just watch it. Just watch. The video. Uh, no, Bzz. my dad. <laughs> please stop. <laughs> uh, or I will go west to join Fivel and never see you again. You are west. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dabble is this xylophone. I got it on Amazon for a very good price. Did, I want to know, like, what was the thought process here? Did you think like, I want a xylophone, you went and got one? Or did you like see it while you were browsing something else? And then you were like, that's- Oh, I was, no, 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 Jessica. <laughs> I did not have the idea to get a xylophone. I yeah. saw it <laughs> very much like the Ariana Grande song. <laughs> I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. <laughs> so that was really my thought process is I was buying a, like one of those mics that you plug into your phone to like make your sound clear. <laughs> and then there was a targeted ad for a xylophone. And then, and then, and then there was like all these, all this music stuff. And yeah. then there was like a, like it went into like kid music stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the xylophone and I went, yes. And you said, that's for me. <laughs> I'm baby. That is for me. <laughs> so I've been learning to play a couple songs. I can play Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's cute. I can play a, like bits and pieces of uh, The Ode to Joy, Beethoven's Beautiful. Third or whatever the fuck. <laughs> we love it. Uh, I want to learn how to play uh, the me theme song. The uh, me theme song? Yeah, like the we me. Oh, the, the <laughs> do, 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 do whatever so i want to learn how to play that uh and yeah let, hit me up if you want to if you want me to play <laughs> Do any you have a song s- request anybody let's jam <laughs> <laughs> one two three four <laughs> um we have a question this week Ooh, who asked it's from susan oh god we love susan she actually sent it in a video so i transcribed it <laughs> oh hell yeah susan love to see your face susan love you girl um she said if you guys could live in any house from a movie what would it be i would choose the one from 13 ghosts because it transforms she said something else about it but i couldn't remember okay but what about you guys i also have never i don't know what 13 ghosts is but that sounds like a cool house susan i feel like either you have ignored or not listened to the parts <laughs> of the podcast where I have explicitly said on multiple occasions how much I love the Haunted Mansion. So, bitch, <laughs> fake fan. <laughs> You're not a fake fan, Susan. 
don't anger her. <laughs> I love um, you, Susan. Uh, don't hate me. But my a, answer is the haunted mansion. There's a couple houses. She asked this question while I was watching Father of the Bride. Oh, which what a house! What a house! And that That's house is a, located in Pasadena. I know. And when they like redid it, um, mm-hmm. they like she dropped her, her xylophone, dropped my xylophone stick. stick. I only have one. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Um. I they like redid it on a zoom for like quarantine times oh it was so nice and they like showed a picture of the house house and it just set the mood it's such a beautiful house that house um the house from practical magic oh that's a good house diane keaton's house and something's gotta give Ooh, another good house it would be one of those houses so i think there's a lot there's a lot of movie houses that i'm like fuck yeah. The father of the bride one though really hits home because like that whole aesthetic is what my childhood home looked like. Oh, beautiful. But like if I lived in a much fancier home. Right, right. So it also has like an element of nostalgia there, which really makes me want to live there even more. Yeah. Again, mine would be like the haunted mansion. The haunted mansion. Or you honestly, like the practical magic house too, though. I really liked, I really loved the practical magic house. Yeah. Also, the Zathura house. Oh, that's a cute house. That craftsman? Yeah. Yeah. You guys did not hear it. <laughs> tell them, Jessica, tell them what we did. Oh, that's a good house, too. I don't like that house. Aaron likes the Knives Out house. Oh, Is that where you would live, Aaron? Okay. I wouldn't live there. I would want to visit as a museum. If I want to hang out. Like my grandparents lived at that house. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, like I myself would not want to live there. Too many rooms. Too many rooms. <laughs> but anyway, what Monica was saying is we did a bonus episode that was never released on. <laughs> um, we watched Zathura for John Favreau's live. birthday. Like live. Yeah. So we watched it together live while recording and just like recorded our reactions because we were doing like a watch along. Mm-hmm. But uh, Monica didn't realize that what we were doing was we were going to release our live watch reactions and so she basically just didn't say anything during it or what she said was like insane and so i'm going there the whole time like reacting and saying what's going on and monica's just like yeah (laughs) yeah so it was honestly a massive fail uh but but it's okay and uh maybe one day we'll release it yeah so you can hear jessica give like really good feedback and me go yeah <laughs> but the house in it is really cool yeah, it's the a house, really awesome craftsman it's a really beautiful craftsman i think in south pasadena yeah something like that i dropped my other stick oh goodbye oh no I guess you can't xylophone you know what i think it's time to end this <laughs> well as always don't, don't sue us daddy, daddy Favreau. Favreau. goodbye monica goodbye jessica